Well, good morning, New Life Church. It's a blessing to be with you on this Lord's Day. And to all of our guests, we also extend a, a welcome to you. Um, we are busy going through a Christmas series, um, month of December. We have chosen to do um, a number of different messages based on, on Christmas. If you go to our website and you click on the, the sermon tab, you will see the different messages there um, on Christmas for the month of December. And this morning I continue with that topic and we are going to be looking at Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. We are going to be looking at uh, the visit of the wise men in Matthew chapter 2. So we have had some wonderful discussions lately in our home groups about Jesus about Santa Claus and the Incarnation. Um, but yesterday on Facebook, I saw two pictures of Santa Claus that had been posted um, by different people I knew. And the first one was a cartoon of a little boy who was sitting on, on Santa's knee. And the boy was looking at the, the bearded man in surprise. And he, he asked Santa, where are you in the Bible? Um, so this was a humorous reminder to me of some of the discussions that we've already had about this same subject. But the second post was not as humorous. The second post was, in fact, much more intentional, much more sinister. It was a photograph of a billboard in New York that had a picture of Santa Claus and under him a picture of Jesus Christ on the cross. And the caption read, under Santa, it said, keep them merry, but under Jesus, it said, dump the myth, dump the myth. So I was reminded again of the reality of a sin-cursed, depraved world that really wants nothing to do with Jesus Christ. And they would do everything that they could to explain him away or to replace him away with, with something else. And sadly, that is what's happening in our communities. And there are many different types of reactions and many different types of responses to Jesus Christ and his incarnation. And there always have been and there always will be. And today, as we consider the birth of Jesus, I want us to examine three responses to the incarnation from the, Christmas from the Christmas narrative here in, in Matthew chapter 2. And as we go through this passage, you will see the first response is from the wise men. And they worship the Lord. Their response is worshipful. And the second response we see is that of King Herod. And he has a very jealous response, a very hateful response to Jesus. And the third response that we'll see is that of the entire city of Jerusalem, including their religious leaders, who are really indifferent to the news of the birth of Jesus Christ. So look with me in Matthew chapter 2. We'll read from verse 1 to 12, and then we'll read from verse 16 to 18. Follow with me if you have your Bibles with you in Matthew chapter 2. So the scriptures say, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who was born king of the Jews? 
For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophets. And this is a prophecy from verse 6. It's a prophecy from the Old Testament, from the book of Micah, right here in Matthew chapter 2, verse 6. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. When Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. So after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that had been seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. If you skip down to verse 16, Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem, and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Well, let's pray before we study God's word together. Father, we thank you this morning that we can open your word freely. We thank you, Lord, that your word has been preserved for us, that we may understand who you are, that we may know who you are, that we may learn the truth that has been recorded for us. Just in our passage alone this morning, Lord, two prophecies there in, from the Old Testament that have been um, recorded for us. Two prophecies, Lord, that have been fulfilled in the, in the birth of Jesus Christ. So, Lord, we pray as we, as we read your word that your spirit would open our eyes and open our hearts to an understanding from the scriptures. We pray as, your, as we study your word, Lord, that your, your spirit would help us to, to fully understand the importance of this wonderful story of your son's birth. And we pray, Lord, as we study your word, that we would also respond appropriately, Lord, that we would humble ourselves before you this morning, and we would allow the Spirit of God to convict us and to conform us to the image of your dear Son. So we pray you will be exalted this morning in our response. For the glory of your name, we ask this prayer. Amen. Let me start this morning with a story that I read in Reader's Digest. It starts off, it was a Christmas morning. I was maybe 15 and knew that my parents had spent all their money on gifts. 
we were very, very poor growing up. My sister was 10 or 11 and also knew, albeit vaguely, that my parents were very tight on money. She and I had long talks about why we couldn't shop at the mall and why we always wore hand-me-downs. She unwrapped the gift excitedly. I remember mom and dad looking at each other and their expressions of weariness but excitement. Finally, they had gotten their daughter a gift she had wanted. And who cared if we couldn't eat next week? And when she pulled out the Game Boy, she was completely silent. Just looked at it with a grimace. My mom asked tentatively if that was a good present. Slowly, she wrapped it back up, set it in my mom's lap, and said, My sister can have it. I wanted it in pink, not in gray. My parents were both in shock, and I saw my mom's eyes well up with tears. My sister, oblivious, stood up and said, This is the worst Christmas ever. And then she strode into her bedroom and slammed and locked the door. My mother was inconsolable, and even my dad had to leave the house. I've never felt so sorry for him, for them. Well, this story really gives us a little bit of a, of a glance into different people's reactions and responses when it comes to Christmas. And of course, what people want and what people expect and what is a priority for them when it, when it comes to Christmas. Sadly, a story that I think many of us can identify with at some point. But our text here this morning also has much to say to us about how we respond to the Christmas story, to the story of the King of the Jews who came into the world, to the Savior of the world. And our response will undoubtedly be like either that of the wise men, or Herod, or of Jerusalem itself. And how we respond, of course, has eternal implications. So this morning, first, let us consider the response of the wise men to the birth of Jesus Christ. So Matthew's account of the wise men is a little mysterious. While there is much that we would like to know about them, there's not a lot of information that is really given, and we are left guessing. Uh, we are not certain about the precise meaning of the term wise men. And the Greek word is, is magos. It's where we get our English word uh, magi from and the word magician from. But the Greek word magos can also be interpreted to mean um, an oriental scientist or a wise man. Remember in the book of Daniel, him and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were in Babylon and they were considered um, magos. They were considered magos because they were wise and because they could interpret dreams. And normally these magos had um, a place of influence in the, the court of the king where they would um, give directions and instructions to the king. But the text does not tell us where these magos come from. There are some commentators who think that they could have come from Babylon. 
Uh, but we don't know. We don't know precisely where they come from. They could have come from India. We don't know. All it says is they came from the east. But we must put aside almost everything that we, we think we know about this mysterious uh, Magi. Because our thinking has been shaped almost entirely by the, the Christmas cards that we, we've received or that we give out. And of course the carols that, that we sing. Um, and our interpretation of this passage is really based on more imagination than on the, the revelation that we've received from the Lord. What we know for certain from Scripture is very little about these wise men. We do not know how many wise men there were. All that the Scriptures tell us is that three gifts were given. It doesn't say three wise men were there. It's plural, so there were more than one. There were, more, there were maybe two. There were maybe 22. Um, I'm sure they had an entourage that, that were with them as they, as they traveled on this journey through the desert to Jerusalem. We don't know who their names were. We don't know the size of this entourage, this caravan that traveled through to Jerusalem. We don't know the source of their information other than the fact that they saw some unusual phenomenon in the sky, which probably was a star. That's all the information that we know. However, with this little information we do know is probably all that we need to know. And it seems that this mysteriousness of the, the wise men is obviously by design, the way the Lord intended it to be. And it makes us a little curious. And at the same time, it, it really highlights to us the commitment of these wise men to find Jesus Christ, to find him and to worship him. Uh, we, we cannot know precisely what happened that night. Um, and it doesn't really matter. What we can be assured of is that these wise men were studying the stars. They understood astronomy to a point, And that this was a signal for them which was very significant, which pointed to the birth of the king of the Jews. The birth of a child who was to be not just the king of the Jews, but who was to be the savior of the world. And Matthew's account begins with the arrival of the wise men in Jerusalem. So again, contrary to popular um, misconception, the wise men didn't go to Bethlehem. First, they first went to Jerusalem. And the gospel describes the arrival of the wise men in Jerusalem. We see here that they were, they were asking whoever they met, where is the, the king of the Jews? Where can we find him? And the wise men must have been confused at the response of the people in Jerusalem. They were, they were shrugging their shoulders and, and they had these bewildered looks on their faces. Um, they, they didn't know what the, the wise men were talking about. They didn't know the whereabouts of this, this king who had been born. But as this caravan traveled through Jerusalem asking people, word must have traveled very quickly through the whole city of Jerusalem. I believe it was a big caravan as they needed the equipment, they needed the supplies for this long journey. There must have been a number of camels and a number of assistants, a number of people that were 
walking and traveling through the streets of Jerusalem. People noticed. And the arrival of this group, and of course the, their zeal, they, had a, they were on a mission. They were searching out the king of the Jews. And there was a, a certainty behind their mission, which must have caught the people of Jerusalem off guard. How could foreigners from afar have received such information and such knowledge without us understanding or without us knowing? How could a Jewish king be sought out by those who are Gentiles from the east so that they can go worship God? There must have been some type of a confusion going on. But notice in verse 7, it is only in verse 7 that Herod summons the wise men to his palace. In verse 3, it tells us that Herod was troubled by the arrival of these wise men. He was troubled by the news of their, their search for the Messiah, the true king of Israel. But in verse 4, he, Herod assembles all the chief priests and scribes. He calls them together. But notice, these are the religious rulers of the day. The ones who knew the Old Testament. And Herod then asks these religious rulers, where is this Messiah? Where is this Christ to be born? And the answer is given not by the wise men. The answer is given by the Jewish religious leaders. It says in Matthew chapter 2, look at verse 5. They told him, talking about the scribes and the chief priests, they told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who shall shepherd my people Israel. Look at verse 5. For so it is written by the prophet. So these scribes and Pharisees knew enough of the scriptures to know this prophecy came from the Old Testament, came from Micah, Micah chapter 5. And they knew that Jesus was going to be born in Bethlehem. They had this information in the scriptures. It is then that Herod calls the wise men. He knows now they're going to be born in Bethlehem, but where exactly, he doesn't know. But regardless of Herod's motives, his secret meeting with the wise men gives them, supplies them with the name of the village where Jesus is going to be born. And Herod, I think here, unwittingly is being used by the Lord as a channel of divine revelation for these wise men to find Jesus Christ. And the worst part of all was that, that no one in Jerusalem or even those who considered themselves the, the spiritual leaders, the spiritual elite of Israel, they did not bother to make the short journey with the wise men to see Christ and to worship Him. It wasn't a long distance from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, about five miles, not very long at all. And it seems after their meeting with Herod, the star then reappears or at least the star starts to, to move. Look at verse nine. 
Look at verse 9. After listening to the king, they, the wise men, went on their way. And behold, the star that had, they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. So this time, the star leads them to the very house where Mary, Joseph, and Jesus are staying. So the star seems to stand still over the exact house where Jesus was. And the text tells us here that the Magi entered into the house. Look at verse 11. So the stable now has changed to a house. Uh, we know that the stable provided just temporary, almost emergency accommodation for Jesus and his parents. But not only had the place changed from a stable to a house, but a certain period of time had passed as well. And the wise men were, were not there at the birth of Jesus Christ. We often picture that. We, we pictured it in our, in our nativity scene. The, the wise men holding baby Jesus with Mary and Joseph. And they're at the stable. They, they weren't at the stable. They were there after the birth of Jesus. Some period of time had passed. We don't know how much time. But Mary and Joseph were in a house now, more permanent accommodation. They weren't standing around the babe in the manger, presenting him with gifts. They were at this, at this house. But the eagerness of, of these wise men to find the king of the Jews is really the main point here in this passage. And it's amazing really to, to see their, their zeal to find the, the king of the Jews. While Herod and all Jerusalem were disturbed, it says, the scripture says, they were disturbed by the news of the birth of the king, the wise men eagerly sought after him. And they were rejoicing greatly as the, the star showed them the way. It tells us in verse 11 that they bowed down and worshipped Jesus. And then they gave him Gifts. They weren't cheap gifts. These, these were gifts that cost them. These were expensive gifts. The gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And the wonder of the wise men is something that we can't avoid in this passage. We can't escape this excitement here. And God revealed the Messiah's birth to a people far away. And while all of Jerusalem seemed really apathetic, towards this wonderful news of the birth of the Messiah. But these wise men searched for him. They found him. And the scriptures say they bowed down and worshipped him. Now let's look at the second response that we need to consider in this passage. And that is the response of King Herod. And Matthew describes for us in detail the, the cruelty of Herod the Great. Even secular history books also record his cruel nature and his, his terrible actions. And while I'm surprised by the response of, of the wise men and of the people of Jerusalem, Herod's response is almost predictable. At the time of our Lord's birth, Herod would have been almost 70 years old. He wasn't in good health and he was going to die shortly. But Matthew tells us in chapter 2 from verse 19 to 23 that after the death of 
Herod, Mary and Joseph returned from hiding in Egypt. We know that the cruelty of Herod was, was a horrible thing. And it was displayed here, even in our passage, where he killed, he slaughtered innocent children of Bethlehem. And those in the surrounding areas, he destroyed them. And Herod never really hesitated to use his power to destroy anyone who might get in his way. Anyone who was a, who was a threat. And Herod's life history reads like a bad novel. One can hardly keep track of his wives and his children and the victims that he had killed. The scriptures, well, history tells us that Herod had no less than 10 wives. He had 12 sons. And although many of these were killed, he killed them himself because they were a threat to his power. They were killed in, in some way or another. And he, he repeatedly changed his will. And he changed his heirs to his throne. He was, he was very afraid of his position of power being lost. And his position and power were a matter of paranoia for him. Um, and he would often retaliate in, in strange, absurd, cruel ways. So Herod's response to the arrival of the wise men is really consistent with his character that is recorded for us in history. But the news of these influential wise men from the east asking about the child who had recently been born as the king of the Jews, of course, would have made him immediately worried, threatened for his power and his kingdom. But Herod's inquiry, first with the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and then with the wise men, was, regard, was regarding only two matters. All he wanted to know was the exact place and the time of this child's birth. That's all he wanted to know. There was never ever question as to what he would do. He wasn't going to worship Jesus. He had no intention of doing that. He simply wanted the intel. He wanted the information so that he could go and kill this child. So that this kill could be done with precision. And Matthew records this for us in verse 16 to 18. Look there with me. Then Herod, in verse 16, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he became furious. And he sent and he killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. This is the prophecy of the slaughter of the children of Bethlehem. It is horrifying. And I think our parental instincts really just want to cry out here for, for justice. But it's not surprising. His response is not surprising when we examine his character that's been recorded for us throughout history. Herod, Herod was a cruel man. And he extended his, his cruelty to the surrounding cities, not, not even just in, in Bethlehem. He wasn't just killing the, the, the children of the village of Bethlehem, but the other villages as well. And not just children who were one years old or six months old, but children that were up to two years old. And let us remember that 
You know, the depravity of this man is one thing. But the depravity of any person, remember as we've been looking through the Ten Commandments, we've seen that given the right opportunity and given the right soil for anger and greed and lust to grow, will develop into something horrible. So before we point fingers at King Herod, let's examine our own hearts and realize the depravity that is really inside us. We are sinful people. But the third response I want us to look at this morning before we make some application is the response of the people of Jerusalem. This is the last point this morning, the response of Jerusalem. For me, this is the most shocking response to the birth of Jesus. The wise men is something that we are excited about. And Herod is something that really is very predictable. But the greatest wonder in Matthew's account of Jesus' birth is that of its citizens, including the religious leaders. And for me, the most standout statement is in Matthew chapter 2, verse 3. Look there. When King Herod heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. So the Greek word for troubled can be translated as disturbed or agitated. And some commentators suggest that the city of Jerusalem was disturbed because they they feared the reaction of the wicked King Herod to the news of the birth of the Messiah. That's possible. But I don't think that this is the case. Jerusalem is said to have been disturbed with him. Not by him. They were disturbed with him. So let's keep in mind here that the Jewish people were always expecting a Messiah. This is something that they had been looking for for centuries. You know, Genesis chapter 49 tells us in verse 10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah. That was a, a symbol of ruling authority. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him. And to him shall be the obedience of all peoples. The people knew the Messiah was going to be from Judah. And while hearing news of the birth of the Messiah, you would think they would have been excited about this. You think they would have been more um, concerned about this. But the opposite takes place. There's almost an apathetic response here. They're, they're, They're not concerned. Because it tells us no worship takes place with the people of Jerusalem. No worship takes place. Even the religious leaders who knew the prophecy and who knew the location of the birth of Jesus, they failed to to find this announcement of the birth of the king. Sufficient motivation to go with the, the wise men, to go and worship with him, to go and find Jesus. Remember, five short miles, that's all they needed to travel so that they could go and worship Jesus. But they didn't. For me, this is the greatest wonder in in the whole text, that nobody in Jerusalem 
would travel five short miles to go and worship the king of the Jews. The wise men had traveled miles, had traveled miles, a long way, a long distance to find and to worship a Jewish king, a foreigner, a king that they, that they didn't know. Because the star itself was, was a wonder. But the Jerusalem, the people in Jerusalem, in contrast, they were uninterested. They were unconcerned. They were apathetic. They were bored by this glorious news. Let's remember again, Jerusalem was the site of the temple. This is where the Old Testament was, was taught to the people. And the scriptures and prophecies for telling the birth of Jesus were no secret to these Jews. They knew about this. But then the arrival of these wise men and their search for the Jewish Messiah should have generated more of an excitement, should have generated more of a response amongst the people of Jerusalem. But it didn't. Against the backdrop of this diligent search for the Messiah by the wise men is this apathetic disregard of the people of Jerusalem. And I don't think Matthew is exaggerating here. He's not exaggerating when he says that all Jerusalem was disturbed with Herod. So the city of Jerusalem is more like Herod than it is than the wise men. In fact, we could even say that, that Herod, in one sense, is more understandable than the rest of the city of Jerusalem. Now, Herod must have believed that the child really was a king, or he wouldn't have gone to all this trouble, this great deal for nothing. He would summon the chief priests and teachers and he would secretly call the Magi and then he would kill all the small children because he was genuinely threatened. What is the excuse for the, the people in Jerusalem? They're much harder to, to understand than, than even Herod's response. Why would Jerusalem be so apathetic? Let me suggest a couple of reasons as we bring this to a close as we apply this to our situation we find ourselves in, our daily lives. For one thing, we know that this helpless babe would grow up to be the servant king. But this helpless babe was not what the Jews would want. This is not what they were expecting. They wanted a, a mighty warrior, a mighty political savior who would free them from the chains of the Romans, who would liberate them from the shackles that had kept them under submission for so many years. And in addition, I think the goal of the wise men visit was completely different from the desire of the, the population. The wise men came to give the Messiah gifts. They came to worship him, treasures. They came to the one who would save even them, the Gentiles, from their sins. But remember, Israel wanted a Messiah who would give them political freedom and political power. And this babe in the manger could hardly meet Israel's expectations. 
They didn't want this baby in the manger. This baby in the manger had little to offer them. And I think about the way people respond to the good news of the gospel today. You think of the churches that are just crowded and full of people who want to benefit from Jesus in some way. They want health, or they want wealth, or they want prosperity. Those are the churches that are crowded. But the churches that are preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, who came to save sinners from their sins, are the ones that are not so so eagerly attended. Not much of a different response, isn't it? Again, we see the people in Jerusalem in the time of our Lord's birth, like today, was filled with unbelief. And they were unwilling to go and seek him to worship him. They wanted their needs met, but they were not willing to bow down and worship the king of the Jews. There was this element of unbelief. And I'm reminded of Paul's description of all people, included, including the Jews in Romans chapter three. It tells us in Romans three verse 10, there is no one that is righteous, not even one. And there is no one who understands and no one who seeks God. We have to, we have to look at our own depravity here, folks. As sinners, and unbelieving Jews are just like all unbelievers in the world today. They refuse to, to seek God. They refuse to, to worship God. They don't want anything to do with God. I mean, that whole billboard in New York is, is really an, a response of all believers. You know, dump the myth. Jesus is just a myth. We don't, we don't believe that we were created. We believe that we came out of the, out of the ocean as little frogs and we evolved into apes and into humans. That's what the world wants to believe. Dump the myth. And unbelieving Jews are just like all unbelievers. But notice, and remember, being Jewish was no guarantee that they were going to go to heaven. And sometimes I think we suffer from the same problem as, as Christian people. We think we're born into a Christian home, into a Christian community, and that is enough. We're going to heaven because our parents were Christian, because our grandparents were Christian, because I was baptized in the church as a child. And we have the same sense of, of unbelief. You know, proximity to the truth is not enough. Just because you had a, a Bible in your home when you were growing up is not enough for you to go to heaven. Ultimately, it is those who put their faith and their trust in the person and the work of Jesus Christ who will have eternal life. And so it's not shocking to remember that, that when our Lord publicly presented himself to the nation, 30 years later, remember he, he rode into Jerusalem, the same city as a donkey, on a donkey, sorry, let me take it back. He rode on a donkey to present himself as the king of the Jews. And he did signs and wonders. He, he did many signs and wonders. And these same people, the Jews, as a nation, they failed to accept him as their king. 
And it was in Jerusalem that Jesus was eventually crucified. It's amazing, isn't it? The three responses of these wise men in Herod and the rest of Jerusalem really represent the response of all peoples to the Messiah. The Messiah who has come to redeem fallen sinners and to reign over all the earth as king. And throughout history, there have always been those who, like the wise men, will search after God, will find him, and will worship him. And often those are people that we don't think about, that are unexpected. But it has always been God's way to draw some people for himself, people from faraway places, from unexpected places, whether that distance is geographical, whether that distance is racial, whether that difference is cultural, there will be people from all nations, the Bible tells us, worshiping God one day because he will draw those people to himself to worship him. And we who are Gentiles, we should have a very special place in our hearts for these, these wise men because in many ways we, we are like them. We are not as these blessed Jews where the Messiah walked amongst. The apostle tells us, the apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, he says in verse 11, Therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth, remember that at one time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenant of the promise. You were without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near through the blood of Christ. And thank God for that. Thank God he didn't just come for the Jews, but he came for the Gentiles as well. And of course, there are those like, like Herod who, who take the claims of Jesus seriously. And if you noticed in that picture, the people who sponsored that that billboard in New York was an atheist group who want nothing to do with God, who take the claims of Jesus very seriously. But of course they are very selfish, just like Herod with his own selfish reasons who actively seek to rid themselves of the sovereign rule of the God of the universe. Unfortunately, although history does record the fact that there have been some terrible dictators. We think of Hitler. We think of some other terrible dictators recently who have tried to destroy the work of God to overthrow the rule of Christ and his church. But I think Herod stands out as somebody special when it comes to the judgment of God in, in hell one day. And of course, finally, there are those, like the vast majority who, who dwell in Jerusalem, who are so apathetic to the claims of Christ that, that they will not bother to make the minimal effort required to respond to the fact that he has come. And unfortunately, we don't have a, a Christmas Day service. But you think about 
your culture, your country. We know that the churches will be full, but there, there are people still who would not make the minimal effort of traveling in their cars to church this Christmas to worship the Messiah, to adore him, to give him the glory that he deserves, to worship the king who came to save us from our sins. And it's true in all the countries that we come from, just like it was in Jerusalem. And it's not because they were not told of his coming, it's not because they are ignorant of this good news, but simply because they don't care to bother to respond to this good news. And there there's, there's this apathy. The apathy of Jerusalem is the apathy of our own culture, of our own day, of our own age. But we need to be careful. And we need to warn those who have this, this apathy. One commentator said, apathy has its way of turning into animosity. And it's a very good and very, very wise statement. Because apathy and indifference doesn't remain at that level. Remember, the city, which could not care less about the birth of the king, were very concerned 30 years later. And remember, in in Herod-like fashion, they wanted Jesus to die. They wanted to kill him. And rather than repenting of their sins and receiving Jesus as their Messiah, the city of Jerusalem cried out, Crucify him! They didn't want Jesus. That apathy had turned into hatred and it will stay like that unless we repent of our sins unless we bow down and worship him as our king remember they said we have no king but Caesar and that apathy will turn into animosity if we ignore the Christ that has come if we ignore the one who died for our sins. And thankfully, many of you here today are like the the Magi. And thank God for that. You worship Christ for who He is. He is your King and He is your Savior. And I doubt that there are any Herods here today because they would probably be trying to burn this building down. But is it possible that some of you sitting here this morning have become so preoccupied with your own kingdom, so preoccupied even with your holiday celebrations, that you have failed to do what is most important of all, to seek him and to worship him. Is it possible that some of you have become so apathetic and indifferent to the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. We need to learn from the story of the wise men and from the people of Jerusalem. We need to repent of our sins and receive Jesus as our Savior and worship Him. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to the Lord's table now, 
we ask that you would, that your spirit would do a work of grace in our lives at this moment. We pray, Lord, that he would reveal to us right now our sin, our sin of apathy, our sin of insincerity, our sin of unconcern for the king of this universe. And I pray, Lord, that there are people, if there, if there are people here this morning that are not saved, that you would save them right now from their sins, that you would help them to see that this babe who came perfectly helpless, grew up perfectly in every way to die a perfect death so that our sins could be paid for and who stands now as the ruler of this world with all authority, the scripture says, and offers us salvation, eternal life for those who would repent and believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Father, we pray that you would help us to respond this morning appropriately for the sake of your great name. We pray, amen.